Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. It's great to be here. Um, I don't know, some of you, well, you might not know this at all, but um, um, the church that I lead, Beacon in Brixton, was actually planted, I think, a week after Rev. Um, I, I didn't plant it, someone, someone else planted it, but it was planted a week after Rev. And um, I, Stefan, Davina, and Pauline and I, we've known one another for years, like, like decades. Um, and so coming here is a, is, a, is a privilege, really. To be honest, going anywhere is a privilege, so let me just say that. Coming here is a privilege. Going anywhere, where, wherever people want you to come and speak to their people, that's a privilege. Uh, that, that's what I've uh, discovered. And, and, and getting to know Richard and Tanique has also been a joy. Joanna Kite would be another person I know quite well here. And so it's a real joy uh, to be here and to be... Uh, really just getting right into the, the kind of the text that you're in, the book of James. We went through James uh, a couple of years ago. And, and James is kind of, he's quite hard hitting, isn't it? It's like he punches you full in the face. Yeah. And you kind of have to go, okay, yeah. Other people don't do that, but James definitely does that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read the scripture and I'm going to talk about the subject of this particular passage. I'm not necessarily walking through the passage, but I'm going to talk about what the passage talks about, and then another part of the passage I'll use to apply. So as um, Richard said, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you'll be open to what God might have to say to you, both individually, but also as a church. And I don't know a huge amount about you. Obviously, I know about you from the other side of the river, I suppose, we're south of the river. It can feel like a long way here. Uh, my daughter lives in Blackpool, but this feels just as far. <laughs> yeah, it feels just as far to come uh, to Rev as it does to go to Blackpool, at least from where we are. Um, so, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just praying that you'll be open to what God might say. So let's read. I'm reading uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. I'm reading from the NIV. So this is what it says. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you, are, but you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom we belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery 
also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, what we know today is you are more interested in what's in our hearts than what's in our heads, than what's on the outside of us. You see all of that, God, but more than anything, you see inside of us. And so I ask that this morning, it is to that which I speak. What's inside of us? What shapes what we do? What shapes what we say? What determines our motives? It's that to which we address this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be present as I speak. That to some you will bring comfort. To others you will bring conviction. And to others you will bring encouragement. Father, do what you will do. In Jesus' name. Amen. It is amazing how relevant the Bible is to the world in which we live today. I find it amazing, genuinely. And this passage is one of those passages where it is so relevant that you almost think, that was written like for now. Now, when I say that, I don't want us to get caught up in the detail of this particular passage, the man with the gold ring and the fine clothes and the poor man in the filthy old clothes. We're not necessarily talking about those kinds of differences, although rich and poor, that still exists. We're talking about any kind of difference here. And what we need to understand is that favouritism is a human issue. It's not a Christian issue. It's not a secular issue. It's a human issue which means it's going to exist as much in this room as it will in the rooms next door and in this particular building when it's being used as a school in the week. We all do it all the time. Sometimes we've just learnt to play it down and we've created a culture where favouritism seems to be okay. We may not base, as I say, on fancy clothes or fine jewellery, but in reality we can discriminate in favour and against people based on many factors. Our needs, their looks, ethnicity, personality, character traits, any such thing. But the Bible tells us here that favouritism is discrimination. It's positive prejudice. It's not that I'm not nice or generous to you. So I might show favouritism not by not being nice or generous to you, but by being more nice and generous to someone else. I might smile to you, but there's a wider smile over here. I might give you time, but there's more time given over here. I might show you grace, but I show more grace over here. That's what we mean when we talk about favouritism. It's not that you don't show grace to other people, but you can show more grace to those people that you love a bit more, that are drawn in. Favouritism, when it exists on a one-to-one level, is tricky, yeah, you know, if your friend, if you realise, if you, you're in a group of friends and you realise, oh, I hadn't realised until this moment, I'm on the outside of the group. I thought I was on the inside of the group and I've discovered I'm on the outside of the group because they're getting together and I'm not, I'm not invited. That can be tricky. I get that. I understand that. I've been there. Yeah, I thought I was popular and then discovered I wasn't. I was in a group that was popular. It wasn't me at all. It was everyone else. Yeah, And when you discover that, you can go, oh, okay, 
Some, for some people, that's a thing. That wasn't such a big thing for me. I was like, fair enough. That's the way it is. So favoritism can be, it can be personal. Yeah, it can be personal, person to person. Whether you're at school or wherever you are, you can have favourites and you can live and work like that. And that does happen. And in the Bible, we have the story of, if you think about the story of Jacob and, and he had two wives, didn't he? Rachel and Leah. One he loved, one he didn't love. Yeah, it was difficult. Leah had all the children. Rachel had the love of the husband. Favoritism. It happens. It's personal. But the second kind of favoritism, because it moves from that, it does happen, is when power gets involved. So we're no longer talking about friends having favourites. We're talking about your boss. We're talking about your mum or your dad. We're talking about your pastor. We're talking about your leader. When they have favouritism, it's different. Because that comes with a power dynamic. Suddenly, it's a very, very different kind of of relationship and what happens in the scripture there's the I suppose the most famous story of favoritism in the scripture must be the story of Jacob Jacob has 12 sons one son is his favorite and he's not got anyone there to say to him Jacob Jacob don't don't buy don't give Joseph the coat don't make Joseph the don't do it there was no one there there was no one there to give him the parenting advice that you're being given yeah, there was no one there to say to Jacob, that's, that's only going to end in tears if you do that. But, but favoritism can be an issue when it comes in what you might call a power dynamic. It comes in a relationship where I have power and I show favoritism here and I don't do it there. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because when that happens, when I say as a father or as a pastor or as a, I show favoritism... Yeah, what happens is the person that I show favoritism to, they might not even realise it's happening. Yeah? The person who feels like they're missing out, it's not me that they react to. Have you seen, have you noticed that? It wasn't that, it wasn't that all the brothers of Joseph suddenly reacted to Jacob. They didn't react to Jacob. They reacted to Joseph. And Joseph didn't choose to be the one who received favouritism. It wasn't like he was obviously sidling up to his father. Now, obviously, he had some dreams which didn't help him in that moment. Yeah, they didn't help him. But it wasn't like he chose it. But because of the favouritism to one, the others react to that person. And that happens all the time. Yeah, if I showed favoritism, I've got three daughters, one of them's here. Um, I would say I don't show favoritism, but you can, you, I can say that, can't I? And they'll go, well, of course you do, Dad. Um, but I would say that I have favourites for different things. Yeah, different daughters have different sides of me um, that, I, that I love about them and that we do together. But if I were to show favoritism to one daughter over the others, then it wouldn't be to me that they react, it would be to their sister. That's how it happens. It's a power dynamic. It happens at work. I don't know if you've ever been in a work environment where your boss clearly favours other people. I've been in that kind of environment. And then you go, oh, how am I going to navigate this? I remember walking into an office very first week I was in there, I realised, oh, I'm not the favourite. Yeah, I am down the list. I'm down the list. He's the favourite. How am I going to navigate that kind of situation? So favouritism can be power. It can be about relationships. But thirdly, favoritism can be systemic. Favoritism can be systemic. What do I mean by that? 
it's possible, without meaning to, to create a culture that favours some people over others. It's possible to do it. A culture which predisposes itself towards a certain type of person, the way people look, the way people act, the way people speak. Maybe the place that they live, the same kind of background. You can create a culture which predisposes itself to certain people. And you don't mean to do it. You're not necessarily deliberately trying to do it, but it does happen. And, we're, and we're, we're naive if we think it doesn't happen. Oh, no, no, we love everybody. Yeah, you might love everybody, but you love some people more than others. That's how it works. We show favoritism to some people. And it might be that there are certain traits about them that, 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 that kind of connect to us immediately. Oh, yeah, I, I get that person. Yeah, they kind of understand where we're coming from. They understand what we're doing and we can connect to them. And so we show favoritism without meaning to show favoritism. And other people end up finding themselves on the outside. Though they thought they were on the inside, they discover they're on the outside. Favoritism can be systemic. And what it means is that there are people who won't fit. There are people who will go unnoticed. There'll be people who will be left out. And as the passage says, when we do that, we dishonour them. We dishonour them. The passage specifically talks about dishonouring the poor, but you can dishonour any kind of person when you end up having a, situ- a circumstance which favours some people over other people. And sometimes those people who are being favoured, they don't even know that they're being favoured. It's not like they're deliberately going, oh, yeah, if I do this, then I... No, they're just being favoured. They kind of fit the profile or whatever it is. It fits. And so they move quickly. So, you know, maybe it's a workplace situation. They move quickly through the career ladder because they fit. Someone else is working, 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 working three times as hard and they're not getting half as far. And it's not necessarily to do with talent. Sometimes it's simply to do with this culture fits these people. Now, in the church, this passage tells us that should not happen. Churches are not designed to be groups of favourites. It's not a case of going, oh, well, there are so many churches, you can just find a church that fits you. Of course you can find a church that fits you, but the gospel is bigger than that. You were singing earlier about the greatness and the grandness of what Jesus has done, and surely if he's done anything, he's enabled people to be able to come together and not have this situation of favourites. Oh, there's one kind of church here. If you've got young children, you can go to this kind of church. If you're under 25, you can go to this. If you wear these clothes, you can go there. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is something that draws people together, and James here who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, says, as we call it, favouritism is forbidden. And it's forbidden because it dishonours. And it's forbidden because God didn't create favourite groups. Yes, he called Israel, but he also says to them very clearly, I didn't call you because you were the best people. I didn't call you because you were great. I didn't call you because you were obedient. I called you because I called you because I called you. And we need to understand how favouritism works. You see, God does not show favouritism, and neither should we. And here's some verses that kind of show that. In Romans 2, it says, 
There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. God doesn't show favouritism. In Acts 10, verse 34, 35, it says, Peter, having met Cornelius, at the end of that encounter, he says, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. That's massive for Peter to say, because remember, Peter's a Jew. Peter's part of the people of God. His inheritance was this. He's thinking it's all about us. And now he has this moment of revelation when he meets Cornelius, who is not a Jew, who's a God-fearing Greek, God-fearing Roman centurion, and, he, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he realises, oh my goodness, God does not show favouritism. And what does it say? But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, if you get that, that is so helpful. It's so helpful to realise God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, what? The one who fears him and does what is right. You don't need to be a certain kind of person to fear God and do what is right. It's not certain kinds of people are predisposed to fearing God and doing what is right. Anyone can be there. That's why when the gospel shifted, it shifted from, from coming, I suppose, through the, through the Jewish nation, the Jewish culture, all the laws and rules that they had that made them separate, suddenly it comes to a place where it's about faith. It's about the heart. Yeah, and we all have a heart. Wherever you were born in the world, you have a heart. And you have a predisposition, if you allow it, to reach to God. There is something that allows you to reach to God, to reach above yourself, to reach beyond yourself. You can all do it. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you are. You don't need to be in a particular place. You don't need to be here with like quite cool worship. Yeah, the lady could sing. Yeah, so quite a, you know, it was like more like a concert than just like a normal church kind of, not in the non-negative way. It was a very positive way, but she could sing. You, know, it, you don't need cool worship. You can meet God. Yeah, and we need to get to that place where people can walk into our congregations and realise, hey, God accepts from every nation those who fear him and will do right. That's the, that's the condition. Do you fear him? Will you do right? Do you fear him? Will you do right? And it goes on. There are other passages that say the same thing. God does not show favouritism Neither should we. In Leviticus it says, and we'll come back to this, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Now, although it says that, we do know that God has a propensity towards the poor, not purely because of material stuff, but more because it's the openness of the heart towards him. God, God has a predisposition to people who might open their hearts towards him. And so you might find that, you know, blessed are the poor. Yeah? Why? For they'll see God. For they'll see God. So why is favoritism so destructive? Some of these come directly from that passage. Some of these I'm just, I've just thrown in. When we show favoritism, we sin. 
Yeah, so let's just get that out there. James says, when you show favoritism, you sin. And none of us want to deliberately sin. None of us want to deliberately do things that we know God does not want us to do. Yeah, sometimes we end up doing stuff with, oh, I hadn't realized. This says, when we show favoritism, we sin. We judge people. This one this way, this one this way. Secondly, favoritism divides people because it's based on personal and human judgment. You divide people. Oh, yeah, these people I'm going to connect to. These people, well, maybe I'll connect to them later. You divide people, and that's wrong. Favoritism divides people. Favoritism, as the passage says, it discriminates. The Bible actually says that. That's a very modern word, but it's there in the Scripture. It discriminates between people. It decides that these people are better than these people. We can sometimes think that these people are more blessed than these people. And when we get to that kind of thinking, it's it's wrong. We're we're in sin and we don't even know it. When churches are like that, favouritism produces cliques. It makes churches that are otherwise very multicultural, monocultural in how they function. Because of favouritism. Because it allows for people who, just, who fit to come in and for other people who don't fit, who can't come in. And I've seen it. I've seen it in many, many, many contexts. People who've been in churches for like 25 years and it still feels like they've just joined. And people who've joined churches in six months and they're around the pastor's house for tea. I've seen it. I remember talking to one particular pastor who said, oh, I don't think this couple are really with me. I remember him saying that to me. I don't think they're really with me. I said, oh, how long have they been here? He said, 25 years. I said, oh, okay. I said, have you ever had them? Oh, no, I've never had them around. I said, they've raised their kids among you. They've sent their kids camping with your kids and you don't think they're with you. Favoritism does that. It produces these things. Favoritism destroys relationships between people. And yet it's the impact of third-party sin. Yeah? If I suddenly made a decision to favour one person over another, another person, I destroy that relationship. It's not just that it affects me, I destroy that relationship. Because it's a very difficult thing to live with when you realise, oh, my boss, he prefers you, he doesn't prefer me. So you have to, when you're in a position of leadership, or you're a pastor, or you're a manager at work, or you're even a teacher in the classroom, or whatever it is you do, you've got to have in your mind, don't show favoritism. Yeah? And it's easy to show favoritism because it can be conditional. You've got good kids who answer all the questions, and and you've got people who'd like to do everything. Don't show favoritism. And as the passage says, favoritism dishonours. And that idea of dishonouring, that is to do with God. Because we are all created in the image of God. We all have dignity and value as people created in the image of God. The breath of God is in all of us. When we discriminate between people, we are making a decision about what God has done. Oh, those people, no. I don't like those people. They're, They're lesser than us. God's affronted at that. God's offended by that. It is not that in any moment God says to you, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. Often you don't find out what God thinks for ages and ages. Yeah, the Bible tells us that God hates divorce. Yeah, this is just an example. It doesn't say that till Malachi. 
up until then, it's not that God thought divorce was okay, and then he's just kind of realized, oh, I've just had to think about it and just realize, and then, no, God has never loved it. He's never loved it. But the only time you really read about it, you come to Malachi, and it says, God hates divorce. And we're like, whoa, when did, where did that come from? Yeah, you then find Jesus repeats that. Yeah, God's always, but God is gracious. That's the whole point. God is gracious that he doesn't come down and condemn us for our sin. He comes down to save us from our sin. Yeah, that's what he does. You see, God does not show favoritism, but he does show favor. And they are different. They are different. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 4, right at the very beginning of the Bible, when the first situation of favoritism occurs. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Everything I've just said about favoritism comes into that passage. Cain is angry, yeah? But you know what? He's not angry with God. He's like, we know later, that he goes and kills his brother. Why? Because in his mind, God has, God has lent towards his brother, not towards him. But what we find in the passage is, yes, God has done that. God has shown favour to Abel. Why? The little thing is this. Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn. Abel brought the best he had to offer to God. Cain just brought some stuff. Yeah? And remember, God's not looking at what you bring. He's looking at what's inside. God saw Abel's heart. I'm bringing the best I can. I'm bringing the best I can to God. God sees Cain's heart. I need to, I'm bringing. I've got to bring. And that comes out, doesn't it? Because Cain then kills Abel. And what's his response to God when God says to him, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Now also, he says, when Cain is cast out, what he says to God is, don't cast me from your presence. He understood what the presence of God meant. But actually, his heart wasn't there. But had his heart been there, this passage tells us, why are you angry? Why is your face down? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Of course you will. It's got nothing to do with Abel. It's got everything to do with you. So God does not show favoritism, but he does show favor. Deuteronomy 7, another example. For you, he's talking to the people of Israel. You are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you 
and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God choose Israel? Because he loved them. They were his treasured possession. It wasn't because they were great. It wasn't because they were numerous. It was because he loved them. Why has he chosen you? Because he loved you. And when you realize that, God chose me because he loves me, it's not because I perform well. It's not because I go to church every week. It's not because I'm a good kid or a good. It's not because I do right. He loved me. Yeah, that's grace. And, and understanding grace is, is the most releasing thing for the believer. When you understand it's not about your performance. Yeah, and therefore, when it's not about your performance, you don't need to compare your performance to someone else's performance. God may well show favor here. Hallelujah. He can show favor to you as well, though. Whatever your situation is. He chooses for his own purpose, plan and good pleasure. He pours out his love. You see, favoritism is like a cancer in the church. But it gets caught as common as a cold. It's a cancer. It kills. But you can catch it. You can catch it in a moment. We need to acknowledge it. That's the first thing. You've got to acknowledge it. Let's not pretend. Let's not get round it. Let's not rationalise it away. We grew up in an era, I grew up in an era where people wore suits to church. We don't do that now, but we still wear our Sunday best. You know, I said to my wife, can I wear this jumper? She said, oh yeah, that's one of your nice ones. <laughs> so we still do it. We still wear the Sunday best. You love yourself. You look after yourself. You feed yourself. Sometimes we go beyond that. We do something to our hair, our nail, we do we do other things. Yeah? You love yourself. Love your neighbour like you love yourself. Look out for other people like you look out for yourself. And don't do it just because, oh yeah, that's what the pastor said. No, that's the royal law. It's all summed up in that one law. All those other commands are summed up in that one law. If I can learn to do this, I do all of those things. Let's pray together. Father, we live with promises. And one of those promises is that when your word goes out, it never returns to you void without achieving what it set out to accomplish. Father, I pray for this church. I pray through this word, this church will accomplish everything it's meant to accomplish. Father, I pray for a different spirit here. I pray for a different way of doing church. By that I don't mean in terms of how it looks, but in terms of how we love. Father, I pray for a, a, a growing restlessness among the people of God here to love one another in such a way that Others come in and are drawn into that loving relationship. Father, I pray that in this congregation and in hearts in this room, you will root out favoritism. I pray, Father, for honest conversations with ourselves and with one another. Gosh, who have I been favouring? What have we been doing? 
Father, I, I pray, root it out. Lord, your word is so relevant, and it could not be more relevant today, that we would learn to love one another, that we would not discriminate, we would not judge, we would not destroy relationships. Do something in this place, I ask, in Jesus' name.